Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Welcome to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. I'm Ko Im, community editor here at Adweek. David Greiner is off this week, uh, but we do have some of our other colleagues with us today. And we're going to talk about sustainability and being green and being good. So to be good with us this week, uh, we have our interim brand marketing and performance marketing editor, David Kaplan. If I have that right, David? Uh, yes, you do, Co. I'm yes. still here. So yes. thanks so much. And then we have senior editor Terry Stanley or TL Stanley back with us. Hi, Terry. Hello. Glad to be here. Yes. Okay. So um, it is a magazine week at Adweek, which means we have a print issue out. Um, and it is our special sustainability issue. Um, and we'll get a little bit more into that. But uh, first, I wanted to, um, you know, kind of sync up with you guys, uh, David and Terry, on what you've been working on lately and seeing lately in the sustainability um, and green space. David, I understand um, that you've been kind of writing around it. And then Terry, um, you have a feature on one of our sustainability stars in the issue, um, one of our 17 brand leaders on a mission to help our planet who are mixing business with purpose. So who did you get a chance to kind of profile for that? Her name is Julie Fleischer, and she works for a company called Encantos. It's what they call edutainment, so meaning that they're trying to make education entertaining for kids because that's the way they will learn better and grasp more if it doesn't seem so much like broccoli and homework. If it's fun for them, then they will they will learn accordingly. So um, I think what I learned... I learned all about that company, which I, I wasn't really familiar with it because I don't have children, um, school age children anyway. Um, so what I learned uh, also was that the, the issues surrounding sustainability are not simply about the environment, which we might immediately think of. It's, it's the earth. It's eco-friendly. It's, um, that's what I would normally think of when I would think sustainability. But there are so many other things that go into having a sustainable planet and a sustainable population, such as quality education. So that, that was the piece of it that, that I kind of handled for that particular feature section. And that was, uh, it was eye-opening for me because there are many, many things that go into sustainability, not just 
say, recycling or sustainable packaging and things right. like that. Right, right. And there, the, each of these stars is tied to one of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs. Um, David, had you kind of heard of these um, SDGs um, in, in your past of, of covering media or do you feel like it's kind of uh, a new, I don't want to say newer topic because they've been around. I mean, I first heard about it um, from the youth standpoint while I was in college. Um, but do you feel like it, it's there's a renewed um, promise and dedication in, in in committing to these kind of goals? Oh, absolutely. Um, and as you said, in a way, these goals have been evolving for really the past 20 years. And I think particularly as with everything, the, uh, the cliche is that the pandemic just accelerated everything. And particularly with sustainability, the idea that the next great global crisis that will bring us all together or tear us all apart is, is climate change. And uh, I, in my past, my previous life uh, before Ad Week, uh, I was covering the airline industry, which also had, uh, before the pandemic, had recognized and woken up to the idea that, especially to reach uh, younger, uh, younger consumers, younger, younger travelers, the idea was that they had to really prove their seriousness about sustainability. And that, so airlines like Delta um, uh, to JetBlue uh, to, you know, even low cost airlines, which were all about sort of, you know, no frills anyway, and just focusing on, hey, we're cheap, just fly us, realized that they had to communicate very clearly and very as truthfully as possible that they were committed to the either the Paris Climate Accords or other standards that that industries have have been embracing. Yeah, and I would say that Terry, you're one of our um, leading, if not primary, kind of sustainability reporters. You know, we've had you on to talk about um, alternative uh, meat and uh, <laughs> uh, kind of cannabis and everything. Um, so it's almost like it's it's. It's more than its own beat. Sustainability has is becoming an integrated part of the business plan. Uh, would you say that it feels like that to you in terms of covering um, this issue? Absolutely. I, I, it's, it's it will be table stakes soon for whatever category you're in. But certainly, as you pointed out, Co, covering plant based meat. It started out as plant-based meat. Now it's plant-based food, plant-based products, lots of plant-based stuff. Um, those companies have always embraced sustainability. It is their reason for being. So it has made me really kind of dig into those issues as it pertains to the food supply. And when you really start looking at it, land, water, energy, all those things that, that must be used to produce our food. It's, it's a staggering amount of um, everything that is required to put food on, on a dinner table. And I think what, what the companies like Beyond Meat, Impossible Foods, what we're going to see with all these um, cultured food products, meaning lab-grown is that their their whole reason for being is to cut down on the amount of energy needed, the amount of resources, the amount of land. Um, everything is um, really superior on those levels when you compare it to our traditional 
um, food supply chain. Um, but as you'll also see, they, they do talk about that and they know that that will appeal to millennials and Gen Z consumers especially. But they're, they really need to talk about, does their product taste good? Mm-hmm. Can it compete with the traditional meat? So they still have to sort of go forward with their um, with a brand message that you might expect, but sustainability is always right there. But yes, it does also absolutely cut across all categories, everything, every single thing we cover, and it will become, I think it will, it will really become mandatory for brands to do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and David, we mentioned you have kind of two titles, right? Uh, two parts mm-hmm. to your title. Yeah. Um, Terry's kind of referencing, you know, sustainability under brand marketing and messaging. Um, how do you think it's going to, or if it is already affecting kind of the performance marketing side? Is there a way to to kind of see that space evolve? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the one of the, as we discussed the last time I was here, one of the definitions, the core definitions of performance marketing is that it's marketing that is directly tied to outcomes. And so when you talk about measurability, metrics, uh, the idea of proving sustainability as opposed to just wishing a press release about it or saying that we support uh, you know, these standards or we support the Paris Climate Accords or what have you, the idea is that performance marketing can be used uh, because of its in- inherent focus on metrics to really guide and shape and let you know companies know and, and, and their consumers know who's doing who's doing well by doing good. Yeah, and speaking of um, doing well, um, I do want to uh, next bring up our uh, producer Nick Gardner, and he has a conversation uh, with our VP of Community Heidi Palermo on a. Ad Week Sustainability Council that you'll read more about in the issue. Here's that conversation. Thanks so much, Ko. Um, so I am Nick Gardner, video producer here at Ad Week, and I'm joined right now by our head of community, Heidi Palermo. Thanks for joining me, Heidi. No problem. Nice to talk to you, Nick. So I know you've been hard at work uh, for a while on something, a new council that Ad Week has put together. Um do you want to tell us about what that council is, uh, who's a part of it, and what are the members of this council being tasked to do? Yeah, absolutely. We um, we are super excited. We recently launched uh, a new sustainability council, um, which really comprises 23 CMOs and chief sustainability officers and leads, which is really cool because bringing the marketing side together with the sustainability leads is something unique for us. And the conversations have been very dynamic, um, just bringing those two disciplines together. Um, They certainly work together um, at at their various brands very closely. So it's really cool to get them in a room and really talk about as an industry, where are the gaps, what are the challenges, how we can address sustainability more holistically and give, um, give the broader community some really actionable tips and guidance and best practices um, that they can then apply, right? No matter what level of maturity they may be when it comes to sustainability. So to your question of what they're tasked to do, I think that's that's one of the biggest things is really identify the biggest challenges, opportunities um, that brands face when it comes to not only environmental practices, which is often what people think of when they think of sustainability, but it's much broader than that. Social purpose, DEI, um, it's all intertwined. So they'll be working closely with our existing DEI council 
um, to bring some of these things to life and really find that intersectionality of how to amplify um, both of those kind of efforts um, across brands. I know there are some big names that are a part of this council. Do you want to, are there any, you know, maybe brands or names that you want to highlight that, you know, are a part of this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, what really, really excited. We have um, Mark Pritchard, the chief brand officer of Procter & Gamble, along with Nadine Dietz. Um, they are co-chairing this council. And so um, Nadine and Mark, and then the rest of the group, we have representatives from brands like Danone, Target, Visa, um, Shell, LVMH, um, Anheuser-Busch, BlackRock. I mean, it's, it's such a diverse group. Um, lots of different industries, lots of different brands, size, you know, medium, small, large, you name it. So it's it's really great to see everybody come together um, with just really a common purpose. Yeah. And, and you know, this group had, if I'm not mistaken, their first meeting um, recently. Yes. Were there any key challenges or insights raised during that call? Yeah. You know, there was a lot. I think there was um, some of the common things that emerged is Again, just recognizing that brands are all in a different place. Um, somebody made a comment that it, it sometimes feels that sustainability now is where DEI was five years ago for brands. Um, so it's really at various levels of maturity. Some folks understand it, some don't, and that's okay. Um, I think that's, you know, everybody was just really open to sharing and sharing and learning just as much, um, which is great because while there's brands doing incredible work and that's why they're on this council, they themselves are humble enough to say, we have a lot to learn too. So um, there was a lot of sharing there. I think there was a lot of excitement around two main things, building the business case for sustainability so that it doesn't feel like there's something hanging out in left field, but it's really embedded. How do you, how do you make that case um, for the business to invest in it? And then another thing was around the need to involve consumers in the solution and bring them along um, the sustainability journey. Um, and to do that, you have to build a lot of trust. Um, so it's not just something you can do internally as a leader, but um, the, the consumer side of it was a big focus as well. Um, collaboration in the C-suite, I think, was another big topic. Um, and external partners. I think it was really cool to hear how much everybody recognized that you can do so much more when you partner beyond just your brand. So it's kind of taking partnerships to another level and, and really looking at coalitions. Um, something we'll talk about actually next week during the sustainability and DEI summit. Yeah. Do you want to, um, while we're on that topic, do you want to talk a little bit more about that summit that's happening next week? Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really cool. We had, um, we had our actual first DEI summit last May and have since had several um, community-focused DEI summits throughout the year. And so for this year, we we really wanted to bring together sustainability and DEI. Again, lots of education um, needed around how it's not just the planet topics, but it's the people topics as well. So the summit is two days. Um, one day focuses really heavily on the planet topics, and then the second day focuses a lot more on the people topics, which all fall under kind of the United Nations um, SDGs. They're the uh, Sustainable Development Goals. I'm learning all of this, Nick. Yeah. By the way, I'm no I'm no expert. I know it might sound like oh she's she knows a lot. No, I've just learned all of this. It's been really really humbling to be a part of this group and just really dive in and and learn more about these. And 
hoping whoever joins next week, it's a free event. Um, you can register on, on our website and just really, it's going to be a lot of education and knowledge sharing from brand leaders. We have we have brand leaders from P&G, the NHL, um, Unilever, Kellogg's, Ben & Jerry's. It's it's a really, really great group coming together um, to just share what they're doing in, in the space. Yeah, and just to clarify for anyone listening, we're recording this on Thursday, so it's next week for us, but it's going to be, it's Tuesday, April 6th, and Wednesday, April 7th. So if you're looking to join that, those are the two dates for the summit. Um, Heidi, I, I one of the things that you mentioned right in there was that is kind of inspiring to me is just, um, you know, these C-suite executives being very vulnerable about what they're doing well and what they, you know, think they could be doing better on um, and looking to, you know, others in the industry for guidance. Um, I know we expect a lot from this council, but what are some of the or one of the most inspiring things that you've seen come from the group so far? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, I, I think you you basically said it. It's the it's the vulnerability. It's the rolling up their sleeve, sharing as much as they can, but being open and willing to learn just as much as they're sharing. I think that's um, sometimes it's it's we see we see people at events. You see them on stage um, doing a panel here, speaking here, and it comes across as everyone's got it together. Oh wow, my brand is nowhere near where they are. Um, and while it might feel like that, I, it, the council's really, um, coming into this very humbly and recognizing again, that not everybody's at the same level and how can we just come together for, to, to improve and, and help everyone as a whole in the industry and the community at large. So I think that's pretty inspiring. Also just the fact, again, that we're bringing together marketing leads with sustainability leads and kind of talking a lot about that collaboration, which can be a sticking point um, a, a lot of times for, for brands and how the C-suite works together and whose role is what. Um, it's kind of like all that aside, egos aside, how are we amplifying um, work that is really for the greater good, not just about your brand. So I think that's been super inspiring to see. Well, as I said, I'm super excited to you know continue following along and, and seeing you know what this council comes up with. Um, and I'm sure I speak for everyone else in saying that they are also excited to see that. So thank you so much for hopping on here real quick, Heidi, and giving us an idea and a uh, walkthrough of, of what the council is all about. Absolutely. Thanks, Nick. I'm glad to share. And um, I too am excited to see what comes from this. And we'll, we'll continue to share out with the community all of the learnings, findings. Um, we're hoping to turn next week's event into playbooks, even for those who want to dig deeper into sustainability practices. So um, definitely more to come. Thanks for having me. Yep. Thanks again. Back to you, Co. Fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for that, Nick and Heidi. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. And we are back with David Kaplan and T.L. Stanley. And I want to kind of talk about how we move forward from April Fool's pranks um, to kind of a more uh, sensible, sustainable marketing future. Um, let's first kind of dial back on on what happened around April Fool's. David, you wrote an interesting story about um, Volkswagen. What happened there and what went wrong? So a few things. One, uh, I wonder if certainly judging by Twitter, which, you know, you can only judge as a sliver of the population by that, uh, the reaction to Volkswagen with a K changing, announcing, or seeming to hide an announcement uh, of by having a press release falsely appear 
to be released before it was scheduled by having a wrong date on it, uh, a lot of media, com- uh, a lot of media outlets jumped on that uh, accidental in quotes, release of that news that they were changing the name to Volkswagen of America, which also is uh, coincidentally hmm, uh, highlighting their new uh, all-electric sport utility vehicle, uh, the ID4. And so what happened was uh, where where it went really wrong, um, throughout the day, I was trying to contact Volkswagen to see, is this just another April Fool's prank is just another is it a or is this a, a an odd marketing ploy thinking that maybe like other brands in the past that have maybe changed their names for a promotion and maybe this was a, a limited time for hey for the next month and then we'll change it back or something like that um they hadn't responded and then late in the day uh after our story had been up for a, a little while uh the wall street journal and reuters uh, were able to get confirmation from the uh volkswagen Group of America's parent company in Germany that, oh, it was just a a joke and we regret it. And where the regret came in was that consumers do have a long memory. And this kind of goes to uh, being able to really back up your sustainability bona fides with actual proof of of outcomes and and metrics to prove it. The idea was that that, uh, in 2015, um, Volkswagen was hit with a a major uh, lawsuit and investigations over uh, over faking emission, emissions. They, they had a huge emissions scandal, paid billions of dollars to make up for it, and people haven't forgotten that. And so now, as as I said, cars uh, from cars to the air, airline industry have all been racing to prove that they are sustainable, that they are environmentally friendly so that consumers will not boycott them or hate them. Um, and, and as consumers have embraced these ideas into their lives much more fully and want to hold brands to account. So the, the idea was that Volkswagen... Uh, or really any car company that's that is considered suspect by a large part of the uh, consumer mindset that they are have been pro- part of the problem in terms of environmental disfoliation cannot really afford to joke about it and that's where I think Volkswagen realized that this wasn't just uh, an annoying prank of say if Dunkin Donuts or I'm sorry if Dunkin now was just changing their name to uh, the lettuce shop this was this was considered uh, a, a serious breach that uh, you can't cross the line and joke about that if you're still uh, you know again uh, need to prove yourself to consumers. Yeah, a little bit a little bit too close. Um Josh Lebner, who's on our Adweek DI Council, um, he he also wrote a reactionary piece on this, um, criticizing um the move. And Terry, any kind of initial thoughts and reactions um to that in, in terms of hitting hitting too close, um, you know, like a company Really has to kind of uphold its 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 weight and stance now. Um, people are absolutely relentless on social media, and that can be that can be a real challenge for brands. But I think it keeps them honest because when you throw something out there, you better expect that people will pick it apart. We hold our brands to a higher standard now. And everyone knows that. 
So it, I don't, I don't envy brands often because it's a tough position to be in. Everything is scrutinized. Everything is examined and put under a microscope. But I think, I really think that's as it should be. We expect a lot. Um, and we, we want to trust them. We want to give them our dollars, but they have to do things for us in return. They have to build trust with us. And as soon as they break it, we should call them out on it. Yeah. And do you think that kind of higher standard is here to stay beyond, you know, the pandemic made us, um, I think, more vulnerable, more sensitive, uh, more in need of, of trust and credibility. Uh, David, do you do you think that's here to stay even as we go towards, you know, a new normalized state as more and more people are getting vaccinated and, and kind of life returns to pre-2020? Um, has has that kind of standard for sensitivity and um, and whatnot, like, I think, stayed for for the long run? Yeah, I, I do think that we have different eras. Um, 20 years ago, the 90s were all about, say, an era of, of irony. So you could get away with, with winking at things and people didn't take things as seriously as maybe they should have. Certainly as we, you know, as the problems have, have kind of, you know, just sort of mounted to today. And that's why there is so much sensitivity, as you say, to the, the problems that have just you know, been left to just sort of fester. And so I do think that people will continue to hold brands to a higher standard because, because they can, because, and because their, their community expects them to. Um, I think, you know, uh, beyond the issue of, of, of trust that Terry was speaking so eloquently about, I think the, also, the other issue is with, with any kind of humor, know the room. And uh, people are still, uh, there's still headlines about, you know, violence against Asians this week. There's still issues. Oh, there's the George Floyd trial going on. Uh, there's still a pandemic. And so people, maybe not in the mood for a, a cute, uh, uh, you know, press release about a name change that maybe even could seem to mock the sensitivities about sustainability uh, or anything else. So, you know, I think the idea is that, you know, know when's the right time to tell a joke. And again, we're still we're still not in that moment where, hey, everyone, let's just be crazy for a day. Uh, I don't think the patience is there for that. Mm-hmm. And, and Terry, would you say that some of these plant-based um, startups and disruptors, are they doing a better job at reading the room or... Um, or are they even held to an even higher standard, right? I think they made sure they had all their ducks in a row before they started speaking publicly. And um, I, I think that's really part of exactly what, what David and I are both talking about, is that if you don't have your, your own house in order, shut up. Because people will grill you for it. They will absolutely eviscerate you for it. They love to point out hypocrisy. So I think you must have your own house in order first. Well, I guess that's it's time for a good spring cleaning, folks. <laughs> well, I want to thank um, David Kaplan and T.L. Stanley for, for being with me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Co. Thank you, Terry. 
Thank you. Good to see you all. Yes, absolutely. And thanks again to Heidi Palermo and Nick Garner, um, especially for producing. And uh, David Garner will be back next week. Our theme music is by Home, and this episode is edited by Lane McGivney. We'll be back next week, and we hope you have a happy, serious, balanced, but not so silly sometimes, maybe start to spring. Have a good one. <laughs>